Good morning, good day, or good evening. My name is Eli Rowe, and this is the Middle-Aged Witch Podcast. Hello, my witches. How are we doing? Um, things here are well, um, and wet and muddy. I'm in, um, Southern California and it has been rainy, stormy for just days and days. I do think we have a reprieve for the next, well, several days at least, but like, damn, my dogs are stir crazy. We haven't been able to take them on a proper walk in a minute and playing catch in the house is just not the same. So, you know, if you hear them whining or snorting or just acting a fool, I promise they don't mean any harm. They are just really bored. But we're not here to talk about Ozzy and Johnny, although I would love to. We are here to talk about Lupercalia. This is the obscure pagan precursor to Valentine's Day. And it is, um, it's kind of whack. It's kind of kinky. Weird as hell. Um, and I just think it deserves more attention. So, you know, let us begin, as always, with our history lesson. Now, Lupercalia was an ancient pagan festival. This was held each year in Rome on February 15th, 13th through the 15th, but everything culminated on the 15th. Now, uh, although Valentine's Day shares its name with a martyred Christian saint, some historians believe the holiday is actually an offshoot of Lupercalia, and even a response from the church to Lupercalia. Unlike Valentine's Day, however, Lupercalia was a bloody and violent and sexually charged celebration rife with animal sacrifice and random matchmaking and coupling in the hopes of purifying the soul and warding off evil spirits and infertility. Um, I'm going to be real blunt here. Nobody knows the exact origin of Lupercalia, but it has been traced back as far as the 6th century BC. Now, according to Roman legend, the ancient king Amulius ordered Romulus and Remus, his twin nephews and the founders of Rome, to be thrown into the Tiber River to drown for retribution for their mother's broken vow of celibacy. Now, that is a whole other story unto itself. Doesn't really matter how we got to this place, but we're here. So, the king orders Romulus and Remus to be thrown into the Tiber. But a servant took pity on Romulus and Remus and placed them inside a basket on the river instead. And like, hello, Moses much? You know, there are a lot of similarities in the stories of Romulus and Remus and Moses. You know what I mean? Like, we've got a villain, he sends a baby boy or boys down a river in a basket made of reeds, where they're rescued by a significant female archetype, and then they're raised to fulfill a grand legacy. It's just interesting. You know, there's always some overlap in the more noteworthy religious legends we find, and this just happens to be one of them. 
interesting indeed, but I digress. So the river god carried the basket and the brothers downriver to a wild fig tree where it became caught in the branches. And the brothers were then rescued and cared for by a she-wolf who lived in a den at the base of Palatine Hill, where Rome was eventually founded by the brothers. Now the twins were eventually adopted by a shepherd and his wife and learned their adopted father's trade. And then, as adults, they killed their uncle, the king Amulius, who'd originally ordered their death, you remember, and they found the cave den of the she-wolf who'd nurtured them, and they named it Lupercal. It became a holy site. Now, it's thought that Lupercalia took place to honor the she-wolf and to please the Roman fertility god, Lupercus. Like I said, the origins of this are, are pretty nebulous. However, Lupercalia rituals took place in a few places. Lupercal Cave, which we established, was um, this holy site on Palatine Hill, and within the Roman open-air public meeting place called the Comitium. The festival began at Lupercal Cave with the sacrifice of one or more male goats as a representation of sexuality and a dog as a rep representation of the wolf. The sacrifices were performed by a group of Roman priests who were known as the Luperci and who were said to be descendants of Romulus and Remus. After the sacrifices, the foreheads of two naked Luperci priests were smeared with the animal's blood using the bloody sacrificial knife. The blood was then removed, washed away, with a piece of wool that was soaked in milk as the Luperci laughed, and this symbolically washed away the feud and the violence between the founding brothers of Rome, because Romulus and Remus did eventually come to um, despise each other greatly. And uh, Romulus eventually killed Remus. Is not a part of this. So in ancient Rome, a feast would begin after the ritual sacrifice. When the feast of Lupercal was over, the Luperci, the priests, would cut strips or thongs made of goat hide from the newly sacrificed goats. And they then ran naked or nearly naked around Palatine, whipping any woman within striking distance with the bloody goat thongs. These weren't painful lashes. This act is thought to have been meant to maybe purify them. You know, this was actually a very playful act, almost humorous. And being lashed by those strips was intended to bring good luck and fertility. This was not violent. During Lupercalia, eligible and interested young women would put their names in a jar. And then the men randomly chose a woman's name from the jar. And the two would be coupled for the duration of the festival. Yes, they coupled sexually. Often, the couple stayed together until the following year's festival. Many times, these couples would fall in love and eventually be married. Over time, nakedness during Lupercalia lost its popularity, which is such a shame. The festival became more chaste, if still undignified. Um, but now the women were whipped on their hands and the men were fully clothed which is boring and not nearly as debauched. So how does this tie in with Valentine's Day? Well, as with most pagan sabbats that are appropriated and then stripped of nearly all meaning, 
The answer to that question is Christianity. There are several legends surrounding the life of St. Valentine. The most commonly known is that on 1 February 14th during the 3rd century AD, a man named Valentine was executed by the Roman Emperor Claudius II after being imprisoned for assisting persecuted Christians and secretly marrying Christian couples who were in love. As the story goes, during Valentine's imprisonment, he tried converting Claudius II to Christianity. Claudius became enraged by this. He ordered Valentine to reject his faith or to be killed. Valentine refused to forsake his faith, and so he was beheaded. But legend also tells of another story that happened during Valentine's imprisonment. After he tutored a girl named Julia, the blind daughter of his jailer, the legend says that God restored Julia's vision after she and Valentine prayed together. On the eve of his execution, Valentine supposedly penned a note to Julia and signed it, From Your Valentine. To further muddy the waters, some historians actually believe more than one man named Valentine may have been executed by Claudius II. Who the hell knows for sure? But despite the ambiguity surrounding Valentine and his life, the Catholic Church declared him a saint and listed him as being martyred on February 14th, which, you may recall, is one day before the Feast of Lupercalia. Thanks to St. Valentine's reputation as a patron of lovers, he became synonymous with romance. In the late 5th century AD, Pope Galasius I eliminated the pagan celebration of Lupercalia and declared February 14th a day to celebrate the martyrdom of St. Valentine instead. Although it's highly unlikely that the Pope intended the day to commemorate love and passion, because we know that the Pope doesn't like that. In fact, some modern biblical scholars warn Christians not to celebrate Valentine's Day at all, since it's so very obviously based on pagan rituals. Now, it is true that Valentine's Day uses some of Lupercalia's symbols intentionally or not, such as the color red, which represented the blood sacrifice during Lupercalia, and also the color white, which signified the milk used to wipe the blood clean, and which also represents new life and procreation. So... For some folks, Lupercalia is basically pagan Valentine's Day. And, you know, I think that's not an unfair characterization, although I feel like it's more appropriate to call Valentine's Day Christianized Lupercalia, but I don't think that's going to catch on. Now, as I was looking at different ideas, I saw some fun suggestions just in terms of traditions or different ways to celebrate this day. And of course, a feast is like top of the list, the obvious way to go. But, you know, if you don't have five or ten pagan friends to have a nice dinner and an orgy with, then of course you can make it like a dinner for two. Just keep it romantic. Now, in lieu of a goat sacrifice, um, offerings may be made. Uh, offerings of meat, chocolate, honey, or wine are really good choices for Lupercalia. But working on the garden... This is kind of a way of tending to the fertility of the land rather than focusing on like literal fertility. You know, pour some of that energy into the land around you to ensure fertility for the year to come. Even pour out some sun water where you plan to plant your garden in the spring. And then lastly, 
as this is a festival that has come to celebrate bodily autonomy and sexual liberation in modern times, and also to sort of incorporate, kind of call back to the traditional pain aspect of the holiday with those bloody lashes of the thongs, getting a new piercing or tattoo, especially as a couple, would be entirely appropriate. But however you choose to celebrate, if you choose to celebrate, even if it's just, you know, a glass of wine or you know, some light consensual spanking. I just think that Lupercalia is one of those kind of oddball observances that is so blatantly, audaciously pagan and that doesn't take itself too seriously. And it's just like a nice little mini Sabbath to kind of get us through the cold months. So thank you very much for spending a little time with me today. It has been lovely. We will talk again next week, and I can't wait. My name is Eli Rowe, and this has been the Middle-Aged Witch Podcast. May our troubles be less, and our blessings be more, and nothing but happiness come through our door. information presented is the author's opinion and does not constitute any health or medical advice. The content of this podcast is for informational and entertainment purposes only and is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any condition or disease. Please seek advice from your healthcare provider for your personal health concerns. Mm-hmm.